Boy, what a nice day it is today. I think I'm saying it's been snowing like the last six weeks. Every Sunday it seemed to snow, so nice to have 70-degree weather, but I hate to tell you, I think Tuesday it's supposed to have a mix of rain and snow. I'm sorry. I just, you know, I just wanted just to put a damper on everybody's day. No, it's great to see everybody, and we are in a series looking at the words of Jesus and seeing what Jesus had to say about particular things and what we're going to be doing for the next um, several weeks is looking at the subject of prayer. What did Jesus have to say about prayer? And if I could put a, a subtitle to these next series of messages, it would be, how do we live undistracted with everything that's going on around us? How can we have a prayer life that is undistracted? And w- would you agree with me um, that probably one of the most difficult disciplines for a Christian or a follower of Jesus would be prayer. Raise of hands. How many would say, Pastor, I'm with you there. How many would you say, yeah, my prayer life could use a little boost. It, it could use a little steroid action on my prayer life, right? We, we all admit that that is one area that is very difficult. The most difficult area probably is the discipline of prayer. So the question I, I want to kind of dive into today and hopefully answer for you today is, why do we struggle with the consistency of our prayer life? Because many times it goes like this. We have this prayer time, we feel like we're doing well, and then we miss, and then we feel guilty, and we feel shameful, and then we feel like we're not doing a good enough job, or am I putting enough time into this? And and But I think there's some roadblocks, and I believe there's a couple roadblocks to an effective prayer life, and this is what we want to remove today. We want to remove some of the roadblocks that keep us consistent in our, in our prayer life, and what is the purpose of prayer? I think those two things can really distract us from having a good prayer life. And so let me give you just a couple things, just a couple things right off the bat that I think are roadblocks to having an effective prayer life. One is we understand that prayer takes discipline. It takes time. It takes time to sit down and, and just get along with the Lord. And, and so it takes discipline. And here's the reason why I believe it takes discipline and why many times we're distracted in our prayer life. Are you ready? I want you, I want you to lean in on this because I think this works for every single one of us in this room and for those you're watching online. I believe we live in a distracted world. There are so many distractions around us. To take that time and not be distracted for just five minutes is almost impossible. We live in just this distracted world. I mean, I noticed it the other day when I was just watching ESPN, you, you, just watching whatever the program is, and then they've got the, the ticker running at the bottom, like latest scores, update on Bill's news. And I'm like, what happened to the Buffalo Bills? Who did they get? Where did they trade? Did they, someone leave? Did, you know, and I'm trying to watch it bomb them, trying to rewind. And then, you know, it's just, it's crazy. We're constantly distracted. There's always something on the screen, at the bottom of the screen. Now they're putting, you know, uh, now they're putting ads now in the middle of the shows. And th- there's millions of things going on our, our, on our screens, and, and we're just constantly bombarded by these things. Now, just think of your phones for just a minute. Let's just think of our, 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 our smartphones for just a minute. Notifications are constantly popping up on your phone. Think about it for a moment. Text messages, weather alerts, score alerts for my wife, sale alerts. I mean, there's just so many things just, right, getting our attention. I mean, constantly, constantly, you know, someone, oh, who's this? And if you, if you read, listen, if you read your Bible on your phone, which is great. I think it's wonderful you're able to have your Bible on your phone. If you got the U version, it's great. But how many know you can't read the Bible for five minutes without a text popping up, right? Without an alert popping up. 
something popping up that distracts you. And then you're like, what was I just reading? I can't even remember what I was just reading, right? We have all these distractions. And the problem is um, we're in front of some type of screen all day long. There's some type of screen that we're, in fact, Forbes uh, had an article they said that we consume five times as much information as we did 50 years ago, and we spend on an average 12 hours a day in front of a screen. Five hours a day. Now, can we admit that we're distracted? Can we admit that? Let's just get it out, a little therapy session this morning. We're, we are distracted. So what, what caused, see, what happens is when we're distracted, it causes our attention span to become very, very, very short. Um, that is why I cannot do puzzles. I can't stand puzzles. My wife can sit in front of a puzzle for days and just be just on it and do it. I'm there for two minutes and I want to kill myself. I just can't. I'm so ADD. I can't do it. And, uh, have you ever watched, have you ever, um, like watched an old movie and it drives you nuts because we're on the same scene for like five minutes, like they, there's no camera change. Like if you're watching John Wayne, which he's the best, you watch a John Wayne movie and you're watching him riding his horse and he, they got the same thing like for five minutes. Like they never change. If you watch a show now, now they zoom in, they zoom out, they go over here, they go over there. Count. When next time you watch a show, count how many seconds they change. And I guarantee it's two or three seconds and they change. Why? Because they know something. We have a short attention span and they don't want to lose your attention. So this is the age we live in. In fact, um, I read a recent study. This is true. I am not pulling your leg here. This is true. The study revealed that we have a shorter attention span than a goldfish. First of all, I'm like, okay, that, okay. Are we, okay. Who are doing, who's doing these studies? Who, who's paying for these studies on whether or not our attention span is shorter than goldfish. But we're sure. So, so they said that actually our attention span has decreased dramatically over the last 20 years. And they said the main culprit is our phones. They said that is the main culprit to our short attention span. And here's the reason why is because we, our brains are always on, always on our, our, we, we never shut down. And so screen fatigue is a huge problem. So what they've noted associated with, with screen fatigue is now there's this whole association with insomnia where, where people can't sleep because of screen fatigue. And so it, it, it goes hand in hand with uh, distractions, our attention span. Now you come into the discipline of prayer and we sit there for five minutes and our brains are racing all over the place. And so it's hard just to sit down and just decompress and just spend time with the Lord. And how many of us know, we all know this, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know this, that prayer is the most important thing. Prayer is the thing that connects us with God. Prayer is the thing that allows us to have a relationship with God. We see the example of Jesus getting alone with his father over and over and over again. So we know that it's important, but we're constantly battling our phones, we're constantly battling screen fatigue, short attention span. We're constantly battling these things in our life. So how can we become undistracted? And I believe prayer is the answer.
And I believe Jesus has the answer for us. So as we dive into prayer, we're going to be looking actually at the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to just dissect that and really look at how we can have those undistracted lives and actually continue to build our relationship with the Lord through prayer. So the first thing we understand is the culprit. One of the culprits is, is prayer takes discipline, and we're fighting against this this distracted living, in short, attention span. I think there's another culprit for this misunderstanding of prayer and a roadblock to, to prayer, and that's I think we misunderstand prayer or the purpose of prayer. We can tend to look at prayer as something we get from God. So if prayer is something that we only go to in order to receive something from God, I'm going through something, I need this, what begins to happen is if we don't see results, we can either give up on God or think that God doesn't care about us or care about our needs. You see, prayer is so much more than just giving our request to God, which, which it's part of. Prayer is part of giving our request to God, but that's not the heart of prayer. And what we'll see in the Lord's Prayer is Jesus gives us the heart of prayer. And I believe if that can switch in your mind of what the purpose of prayer is, I think you'll have a very effective prayer life. And I believe it will transform your relationship with God the Father. And so this is what we want to look at. We don't want to see prayer like a fire extinguisher, right? The only time you use a fire extinguisher is when? When there's a fire. We don't want to use prayer only when there's an emergency, And so Jesus says our relationship with God hinges on our prayer time. Our spiritual fervor, the way we relate to God, the way we relate to our world and how we get through all the difficult things in our lives are related to prayer. See, the problem is we end up living uh, lives that aren't proactive but reactive, And if we don't have a stability in our prayer life, we're going to end up living our lives reactively. What do I mean by that? Well, when a problem comes up, what are we going to do? You notice Jesus's life? He He didn't live reactively. Nothing took him off guard. Why? Because he had this relationship with the Father. He understood the Father's will. And if we're in the Father's presence, we're going to understand that things are going to happen in our lives. Everybody said amen, right? Things are going to happen. But if we have this prayer life and we have this consistency with God, we're not going to react to everything that goes around us and feel like everything's an emergency. We're going to have a peace that God is going to help us, that he's going to be with us, that the first thing that we turn to when we are going through things or, or things don't go our way, we're going to say, I, I, I can run to my father. I can go to him. And I know he understands this. And I know he is, that he's in control and that he'll give me a peace. But instead, many times we allow fear and anxiety and a reactive spirit to react to all the things that are going on in our life because there's not that consistency of being in the presence of God. And this is what Jesus wants to instill in us through the Lord's Prayer. So I want to give us a different view of prayer, and hopefully it will provide you with a new appreciation of prayer, and it will become a vital part of your life. So to understand prayer correctly, we need to understand the words of Jesus. What did Jesus say about prayer? So his disciples did ask him, Jesus, how should we pray? So Jesus gives us the famous, Our Father, right? Maybe you grew up in a church and you said the Our Father prayer Every week, maybe some of you have memorized the Our Father prayer. You, you hear it many times when you go to a funeral. You hear the Our Father. Many people know the Our Father. Now, before we jump into that prayer and we read it together in just a moment, what's interesting about this prayer is what's said before the prayer. Jesus gives context to the Our Father prayer in the preceding verses. And what he says is so 
good about how we are to pray and how we're not to pray, who we're not to be like. And then he goes into the Our Father prayer. So let's read this together in Matthew chapter 6. And let's what he says before we jump into the Our Father prayer. Let's look at Matthew 6 and let's look at the preceding verse in verse 5. And he says, and when you pray, he doesn't say if you pray or when you want to or when you just feel good, or when things are going your way. He says, no, when you pray, he's expecting us to pray, correct? Capiche? We all got it? He's expecting us to pray. So he says, when you pray, he says, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners so they can be seen by others. Jesus tells them to do just the opposite. He goes, truly, I tell you, they've received their full reward. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father. I want you to see how many times Jesus uses the word Father. He doesn't say, just go to God. He says, go to the Father. There's a reason why Jesus says, go to the Father. The key to our prayer life is understanding our relationship to God the Father. We're going to understand this is the key that's going to just crack open your prayer life and the way you approach God in a totally different way. Jesus calls him his father. He tells us to call him our father. He starts the Lord's prayer out by saying our father. Okay, so I'm sorry. I'm getting going here. I'm, I'm pumped up. I had a cup of coffee between the services. Okay, here we go. So he says, but when you go, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen, then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. But do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is so good. What Jesus does is he juxtaposes those that are pagans, those that are worldly, uh, those that are, think they're very religious, the religious elite, and he juxtaposes it to them who think they're going to be heard by the, way they, by the way they pray, how well they're seen by others, and those who think they just keep repeating the same thing over and over and over again. Jesus says, no, your father, for those that are followers of Jesus, your father is different. He relates to you completely different, and he doesn't want you to relate to him by your many words, by your babbling, or by your religiosity. This is so, I'm so pumped up this morning. This is so good. Because I believe if we understand how to relate to God, it will unlock the door to your prayer life that we all struggle with. And so what does Jesus say? He says this in verse 9. This, okay, now he sets it up. This then is how you should pray. How does he start it again? He says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to break down all these verses over the next five weeks. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What? Jesus, amen to God's word, amen to God's word. What Jesus shows us here is the heart of prayer. What really matters to God? The kind of prayer that is pleasing to God, the kind of prayer that will allow you to grow and flourish in your relationship with Christ. Now, notice how Jesus starts his thought about prayer. He tells us not to be like two types of people, those that pray for show and those that pray mechanically. So what's the difference? Well, Jesus separates those who pray for themselves and those who try to manipulate their gods by their many words. 
they think they will be heard by repeating the same thing over and over and over again. And then you have the religious elite who show off their religiosity. And then you have the pagans who think by repeating the name of their gods over and over and over again, they will be heard. Jesus says, no, this is not how you are to pray. Don't be like them. That's hypocritical. Come to your father who knows your needs before you even ask for him to help you. Jesus tells us that prayer is different for those who follow Christ. We pray to our father who already knows our needs. What does that mean? That means I'm not trying to gain God's attention. Hey, God, I'm here by by the many words that I say. Hey, God, I'm here because I was really good today. I didn't do anything bad. So God, I'm here. Are you, are you pleased with me, God? It's this performance thing. Jesus, no, 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 no. God already knows your needs. He already sees you. He knows what you're going through. He knows what happened to you. He knows you had a bad day. He knows you had a bad week. He knows you had a bad year. He knows your health issues. He knows what happened at your job. He knows what's going on in your relationships. He knows what's going on in your marriage. He already knows your need. Why? Because he's a good father. Now listen, listen, lean in for just a second. Some of you, when I say the word father, it's tough. Because you're like, Pastor Barton, I didn't have a good example of an earthly father. It, It was either performance driven, never heard him say I love you, never heard him say he was proud of me. It wasn't good, Pastor. You, you just don't know. It wasn't, wasn't, wasn't a good, good situation. Let, let me tell you this. For those of you that are under that, under that situation, I want to let you know that that's not the God of heaven. The God of heaven, the Father that Jesus talks about, is perfect in every way. And I think what happens is sometimes we get this, the earthly mentality of our Father, and it seeps into our relationship with God. God, the Father who's in heaven. And we feel like we have to perform for him or we have to do all the right things or God is going to be disappointed with us and he's going to shun us. That's not the heavenly Father that Jesus is talking about here. We are going to dig into the type of Father that Jesus is talking about, which is a perfectly heavenly Father who says, come to me with all your brokenness, all your sin, And let me do the healing. I will receive you just as you are and let me do the fixing in your life. I'm not asking you to perform. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I know your past. Jesus even said it. He already knows what's on our heart before we even bring to him. He knows you more than anyone else. And yet he still receives us. I don't get that. That's the type of heavenly father. Not like the hypocrites, not like those who pray to show off and not like those who pray like they feel like they're going to be heard by their many words. Jesus, that's not our heavenly father. Don't be like those people. We pray to our father. Why is this so significant? The reason why it's so significant is that it's personal. I want you to notice how Jesus addresses his father and how Paul uses the same words as Jesus and how he addresses God. Mark 14, 36. Listen to what Jesus says to his father. As he's praying, as he knows he's going to face the cross, listen to how he prays. He says, Abba, Father, he cried out. Now, basically what Jesus is doing, he's saying Father twice. Abba in Aramaic and then Father in Greek. He's saying, Father, Father, he cries out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So Jesus cries out, Abba, Father. Once again, Paul reiterates this as he writes to the Romans. 
He says this, when we become children of God through Christ Jesus and his grace and his forgiveness as he receives us, he says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. You're not fear in God's kingdom, part of God's family. When we are received into his kingdom through the precious blood of Christ and through his sacrifice, when we're received as his children, we receive this spirit of adoption that we now are children of God. We're not fearful before the Lord anymore. We're not rejected because of our sin. He receives us because of the work of his son, Jesus Christ. So he says this, listen to what Paul says. This is so good. He says, you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, which means you don't have trepidation when you come before the Lord. Now listen to what he says. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children, and now you call him what? What does he say? Abba, Father. The same words as Jesus. What does Abba, Father mean? This opens up for us the character of God and how we approach God as Abba, Father. The Spirit, this is what Paul's saying, the Spirit gives us the experience of being God's children to where we now cry out, Abba, Father. What does this mean? When the Spirit of Christ comes in, into us, when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God comes into us, now we cry out. We don't cry out, God, I'm afraid of you. What if I didn't do the right things? Are you going to reject me? No, the Spirit of Christ within you now cries out, what, a fearful spirit? This is so good. Do you cry out like, will God accept me? Did I do enough? Did I do enough good works? Did I go to church enough? Did I read my Bible enough? No, what it says is this. You now cry out, what? Abba, Father. Well, what does that mean? Paul says, this is so important for you to understand. See, it's interesting what Jesus says here. Abba, Father means that he repeats Father twice. As a child... I normally didn't call my father twice, father, father, in an English accent, right? I didn't say, hello, father, father. How are you today? Very good, my son. How are you? How art thou today, my son, right? That is so formal. What he's saying by Abba, father, by saying it twice, Jesus calls out to his father twice, Aramaic Abba, and then in Greek, father. The term Abba, father, gives double emphasis to the fatherhood of God. So what does Jesus want us to understand? We do not have a business relationship with God. It's not this informal, uh, hello, Father, how art thou today? It's this Abba Father, this personal relationship that we can now come into his presence, knowing that he receives us, that he loves us. You see, if it's a business relationship, then I expect something from you. There's an exchange for our services, right? Our relationship with God is not based on our performance. God doesn't expect anything from us in order to receive us or, or accept us. So it's not this performance base where I have to do something. That, that's a business trans transaction. Our relationship with God is based on a commitment that God made to us through his son, Jesus Christ. That he demonstrates his love towards us that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. So we are part of this family of God. Now, there's this, this one. I like, I like their pizza. I like Mark's pizza, but they have this jingle. How I many of you know the jingle? It says, uh, Mark's Pizzeria, we treat you like what? Family. You guys all know, right? Mark's Pizzeria, we treat you like family. I just wormed your brain. You're going, to be, you're going to be singing that all day now, thanks to me. So every time you sing it, say, thank you, Pastor Barton. I hate your guts. So 
it's, it's a catchy phrase, right? Mark, Petri, you treat you like family. So, so here's what God's saying. When you come in, now you're family. We're close. We have a relationship. Now with Mark's, next time you go in to order pizza, just say, hey, I love your jingle. You treat us like family. So if we're family, shouldn't we get the pizza for free? Right? It's not going to work, right? Because it's a business. Mark's got to, they have to make money, but it's a business. You, you, they expect you to pay for their, for, their, for their pizza. But think about when your kids were young, right? Five years old or whatever, and they're young, and they're still in high school and grade school and elementary school. Did you, did you charge them rent to stay in your house? Maybe some of you did. I'm thinking back now, that might not be a bad idea, right? Did you charge them for the food, right? Sometimes when they were ungrateful, you were like, man, I just want to give them a bill just so they, so they appreciate our cooking and what we do for them, right? And uh, we didn't charge them. Why? Because, because they're family. You see, what Jesus is saying, this Abba Father is one of our closeness with God. It's of caring. It's closeness. It's not aloof. It's not, it's not distance. God is our Father to, to, to all who come to him. He doesn't cast anybody out. He doesn't say, here are the pre-qualifiers for you to come to me. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to do the other. Jesus tells us to come to him just as we are. We don't come by our righteousness or by our good works. So we're accepted as children through our faith in Christ by his wonderful grace, which we didn't earn or deserve. So Paul uses this word to cry out. When the spirit of Christ comes in us, we now cry out, not with the spirit of fear or trepidation. We now cry out, Abba, Father. See, Abba is personal. It really means my father. It's not somebody else's. It's, it's, not, it's not this distant relationship. When we cry out, Abba, Father, we're actually crying out, my Father. It's an overwhelming feeling that God loves me and my confidence is in God. See, we can have the same type of relationship with the Father God as Jesus had with him. God is our Father. It doesn't give up on us when we, when we mess up. If you're in a business relationship and you don't pay your bill or if you, if you don't pay your gas and electric bill, guess what's going to happen? They're going to cut you off, right? They're going to they're gonna cut you off. But God says, I don't cut you off. You're my child that cries out, Abba, Father, that you can run to me when you make a mistake, when you sin. You can run to me and you can find forgiveness through Jesus. You can find forgiveness. That's the type of father that he is. He doesn't stiff arm us. He doesn't push us away. He says, come back to me and allow me to heal you again. See, Jesus wants us to approach God as our father, not someone who just prays empty words over and over and over again. If I approach God in a business sense, I will expect something from him. We will say things like, look at all I've put in. Look at the prayer time I've put in, or look at what I've done, or I went to church, or I pray, or I read my Bible. And, um, and we, we're going to expect something from God. But Jesus tells us that's how the pagans pray. Notice how the elite religious and the pagans pray. It's all about them. It's really, it's really not about having a relationship with God. It's about what they can get from God. They think by their many words they're going to receive something from God. And for the religious elite, it really wasn't about God. It was more about how we looked in front of other people. If I look religious enough and I pray the right words, and everybody can be impressed with me and my religiosity. Jesus says that's hypocritical. That's not really having a relationship with God, the Abba Father. 
because it was about them and, and they began to bargain with God. God, if you do this, then I'll stop my wrong behavior or whatever. It becomes this bargaining chip with God. And that's, that's not the relationship that God wants to have with you. He wants to have this grace filled relationship with you that you're drawn to him because of the great, wonderful grace and mercy that he poured out to you through his son, Jesus It becomes personal becomes personal. And what we'll see in the next coming weeks as we dig into the Lord's Prayer is Jesus teaches us something completely opposite of the pagans and, and, and the religious elite and how they approached God. You see, what Jesus shows us in the Lord's Prayer is the thing that God wants most from you is your heart. If he has your heart, he can direct your whole life. If he has your heart, he'll direct your whole life. He wants us to approach him as this loving father. He doesn't say, if you come to me, then you have to do it this way and that way, and then he gets us in a headlock, and if you don't do it there, I'm going to punish you all the time. Yes, God's a loving Father who disciplines us, but he loves us because of that, and he wants the best for us. God doesn't place obstacles in front of us. He doesn't place a bunch of rules and regulations in front of us in order to approach him. All those things have been removed because of Christ Jesus. All those obstacles of approaching God have been removed. So that's why we can approach the throne room of God with confidence, with confidence, knowing that God will hear our prayers and will help us in our time of need. Not because of my performance, not because I think I have it all together, but because of Jesus and what he's already accomplished for us. And so now we can boldly come to the throne room of God because we have this relationship with God that we call out to him, Abba, Father. If that's the type of relationship that you have with God in your prayer life, it will revolutionize your prayer time. Because now you approach him as like, God, you, here's my heart. You already know it's on my heart. But here's my heart. I give it to you. I can trust you with my heart. I can trust you with my failures because I know you will receive me. You're not going to reject me. You're not going to guilt me and shame me. What you're going to do is you're going to restore me as I confess the things in my life to you, the sins or the things that I've fallen short. When I confess those to you, you're a good father who will receive me and forgive me through your son. Listen, just listen real close. That's a grace relationship. How many parents know this and you get this? And this is the same with our relationship with God. How many know that God wants to have parameters around our life to protect us? There are things that we read in the Bible that we know our sin. And what's the reason why? To make us feel condemned and guilty all the time that we're never doing it right? No, because God loves us as his father. He puts parameters around our lives to protect us, right? And parents, we get this. We want to put parameters around our children's lives because we love them. We protect them. And, and we don't want them to get hurt. We just don't want to say, hey, it's okay. If you want to run across the street, you know, when they're three years old, go ahead. if that's what you're feeling, honey, oh, you're so special. And we don't want to impede on your specialness. So we're just going to let you run all over the street by yourself, right? Any good knowing parent is not going to do that because why? Right? They don't want to get hit by a car, Right? Um, it's just, those are prayers because we love them. Here's what I want you to see. What God wants to do is he wants to have a grace relationship with you that he has your heart. When you have that type of relationship with God, it doesn't become about rules and regulations. It becomes this, Lord, I want to serve you 
because I understand your love and your grace that was poured out to me. So when you have parents, you have these heart to hearts with your kid, with your kids. The one thing that, listen, that I can't stress more than anything else is grab your child's heart. Rules are important and, and regulations are important, but when rules just become dominant and it's not done in a relationship, rules can never change somebody's heart. That's the best thing you're going to hear all day. See, listen, God didn't come down to give us a bunch of more rules because he, he, he knew that that was a bunch of rules is not going to change anybody's heart. Just read the Old Testament. That's why God said, listen, you're sac- I would rather have your obedience more than your sacrifice. You're doing all these things, but I don't have your heart. You might be doing the religious sacrifices, but I don't have your heart. And God says, I want to change your heart, your heart of stone, and make it a heart of flesh so that I can have a relationship with you. What causes you to obey God is not all the rules and regulations. What's going to cause you to obey God is he has your heart and you understand his grace. And when you understand the magnitude and the grace and the mercy that God poured out to you in his son, Jesus, you don't want to take advantage of that. Does that make sense? That's the same in your relationship. That's why, you know, I appreciated my relationship my parents had with me. They really tried to grab my heart. Barden, are you okay? They would say to me, now, Barden, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, damn. But they really cared about my heart. And so when I was thinking about maybe not making the greatest decisions, you know what I would think about? I would think about my relationship with my parents because they built that relationship. Now, did I still do knuckleheaded things? I did. But I would think about because they were trying to grab my heart because I had a relationship with them, and I know I could go to them with anything. That's the way God the Father is. I love this um, this quote by Paul Tripp. Paul Tripp has this book on uh, grace-based parenting, but it really applies, I think, to our prayer life. He says this, parents, this is a good quote for parents, but he says this. He says, if rules had the power to change your child's heart, Jesus would have never needed to die. We need to preach and model the gospel of grace to ourselves and to our children every day realizing we are far more like our children than unlike them in a deep need of our father's forgiveness. That is such a good quote on how we are to approach God as Abba Father. We are in need of his grace and his forgiveness. When you approach that type of relationship, the rules are not the thing that are going to change your heart. The rules are there to protect you. And I want to obey God. And I want to live a holy life because I want to please God. I don't want to disappoint him. Not because I've got these rules hanging over my head. It's because I don't want to disappoint my Abba Father because I have a relationship with him. Do you see the difference? That's what Jesus came. He came to have a relationship with you. He could have easily gotten every single one of us in a headlock. He could have easily put the rules and the shame and the guilt over all of us. But would we had really had a genuine relationship with Jesus, it would have been a relationship just based on rules. And rules change no one's heart. Jesus came to change your heart. Change your heart towards God the Father and have a relationship with him. And when that changes, you will want to be in God's presence. If that's the foundation of your prayer, your prayer life is to be in the presence of Father God, you're going to want to be in there. And then the distractions of this world, 
you're going to put them aside because you're going to realize that's the most important thing is my relationship with Abba Father. And the other things that we'll begin to learn about prayer will fall into place for you. And I believe it will radically not only change your prayer life, but your relationship with God through his son, Jesus. And it won't become performance-based anymore. It will become relationship-based. And it will cause you to want to live a holy life and do the things that God wants you to do and to obey him because you don't, you don't, you don't want to ruin that relationship because you understand how great his grace is and what Jesus did for you and I. That's the relationship that Abba Father desires to have with us. Close, intimate. One that says, God, you're my Father. And I can come to you with anything and you will receive me because of what Jesus already did for me. Let's come to him that way. So here's what I would tell you. You say, Pastor, that's wonderful. Appreciate your message, but gosh, you don't know my life. I can't, I'm, I'm a mom and a dad. I can't get five minutes to myself without someone tugging at my pant leg or, you know, some fight breaking out in our house with our kids or whatever. You, And here's what I would tell you, because I get it. I get it. Um, here's what I would tell you. Um, Try not to look at it as a chore, but look at it as an opportunity. So whatever that opportunity avails to you, whether it's early in the morning or when the kids go to bed or whatever, or whether it's, you know what windshield time is, right? That windshield time in your car when it's just you and the windshield. Um, maybe that's that's your time. Whatever it is, take the opportunity that maybe it's walk. Maybe you just got to get outside and take a walk and just say, I got to, I got to, I got to decompose. I got to decompress. I got to de something, right? And, and just get, and just don't take that time to, to look at your phone or answer a text. And we're going to talk about how we can get untangle our distractions. We'll be talking about that in the next coming weeks, but, but try to find that alone time, whether it's taking a walk or you're just going in the woods somewhere by yourself. <laughs> just get alone. Your father is waiting to spend time with you. He desires to spend time with you. That's what a perfect Abba Father we have. He's not going to stiff arm you. He wants to receive you and have that relationship with you and speak to your heart. When he's got your heart, he's got your life. And you will find his peace. You'll find help for all the distractions in your life. And we'll stop living our lives reactively and we'll start living our lives proactively the way God wants us to. Amen. Let me pray for you today. Let's pray and ask God just to help us in our relationship with him and to live those undistracted lives. Father God, I thank you for your word today. And, and Jesus, I, we, our lives are so cluttered so many times, cluttered with just unnecessary stuff. Help us to take the unnecessary stuff away and focus on you. Help us with it. Not, not a chore, not, not a, not a, a, a box we need to check in our spiritual life that I prayed five minutes. Help it be driven by a relationship that we want to know, Abba, Father. And so thank you, Jesus, that you paved the way so that we could have that relationship with God and that sin no longer blocks us from being friends with God. So, Lord, I just pray for every person here today, whatever their life may be, whatever distractions may be in their heart, Lord, I pray that they would just begin to reevaluate their lives and the priorities in their lives and to begin to think about the things that matter the most and not to pour guilt and condemnation on our spiritual lives, but it's about a relationship that we would begin to desire to have that alone time with you so that you can have access to our hearts and our lives. So thank you 
for being patient with us. Thank you that you want to know us. Thank you that Jesus showed us the way to your heart through prayer. And as we, as we, you know, just traverse in these coming weeks, I pray that we would learn more and more through the, our father prayer of what it means to truly know the heart of God. So we thank you for this day. And I thank you for your people, God, and thank you for just loving us and receiving us. And we just ask these things in Jesus precious name in Jesus precious name. All God's children said, amen, amen.